0: THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Creators like longtime listener and friend of the show, Carl Smith, and by listeners like you. Go to twoheadednerd.com and click donate or visit patreon.com backslash twoheadednerd to become a supporter. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 666 no. of the no. Two-Headed Nerd comic book it's Episode podcast. 504. My name is Matt Bomb. It's episode 504. Yeah, but it's like Halloween, so I just figured I'd do some Marvel math and we uh, give the <laughs> get everything a little nudge, you know? <laughs> come on.
1: And I am the Internet's Yo Patrick. I was, tr- I was trying to do a Paul Bearer You're, thing there. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, was I there. don't think I can sustain Everyone's it, though. There. It's the Halloween Spooktacular episode, and we're celebrating with reviews of Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror and Sex Death Revolution. That sounds scary. Right. After that, we'll review eight more of this Halloween's spooky new comics during Ooh. the ludicrous speed round.
0: Then we'll head down to the teach and sanctum sanctorum, where we'll discuss our must read picks for next Wednesday. And finally. It's not just Halloween, Joey. It's a fifth week, too. So we'll have our own little monster mash and count down our top five favorite horror artists. But before we swear our allegiance to the beast and shed our human skin, we better talk about this week's Gross Nerd
1: News. <laughs> Writer Mark Wade has started a GoFundMe campaign to collect money for legal fees related socialist
0: <laughs>
1: related to a lawsuit filed by Richard C. Meyer. If you don't know who that is, good for you. I, I know who he is.
0: I don't know what he looks like. So every time I think of him, I think about that Luke Paul shithead from YouTube. I just decided he <laughs> sure, looks yeah, like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or PewDiePie. I guess. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, Meyer is a leader in the online hate group Comicsgate. Uh, The lawsuit alleges that Wade called Antarctic Press, which Meyer had formed an agreement with to publish his Jawbreakers series, and convinced the publisher to drop the title. Meyer claims this amounts to an interference with the contract he had established with Antarctic, as well as defamation due to the alleged content of the phone call. In a post announcing the launch of the crowdfunding campaign, Wade maintained his innocence and explained why such a campaign was necessary in the first place. Here's a quote from Wade. My name is Mark Wade. I'm a New York Times best-selling comics writer. In September of this year, I was sued by one of the perceived leaders of a relentless online harassment movement called Comicsgate, which I and many comics professionals strongly feel has unfairly and offensively targeted women, people of color, and LGBTQ creators working in our industry in an effort to make them feel unwelcome. I firmly believe this lawsuit is an effort to silence those of us who stand up publicly against bigotry and racism and who continue to defend diverse creators from harassment. Even though I am confident that the claims made against me are entirely without merit, lawsuits are time-consuming and very expensive, said Wade. Still, I have never backed down from bullies, especially those who denigrate my friends, colleagues, and the values our community stands for. And while I am not a rich man, you have my solemn promise that I will fight this fight, no matter the personal cost. Right on, brother. Wade did contact Antarctic following the announcement of their intent to publish Jawbreakers, resulting in a conversation both parties allege was civil, and in which Wade and Antarctic say Wade expressed concern over Meyer's online presence. Okay. There's nothing illegal about that. Uh, no, I mean. It's, it's not like he said, hey, don't hire this
0: guy. He's a queer, which comics big guy would have said. That would be defamation. Of, you know, but. There's nothing illegal about calling someone and saying, hey, do you know who this person is? Heads up. Yeah, it's right. I mean, well, <laughs> it's not
1: a criminal. Only like Wade has not been charged with criminal activity. Right. Like you but can sue is, people for anything. This is going to get thrown out of court so fucking fast. But Wade will still have to pay for a lawyer. and I suppose. Like it's expensive stuff. And this isn't the first time this happened. Um, another gate idiot uh, is suing... A bunch of creators, small press creators, for things that they said, and it's, like, going to bankrupt these people. Well,
0: yes and no. There will be a point where the suit will will be dropped because there will be – we're going to say, no, take me to court. You want to go to court? Let's go to court because there's nothing here. And the judge will say, why are we here? Get out of here. That becomes a frivolous lawsuit. You would have to pay your lawyer – For that, for them showing up, but you're not paying anybody else's legal fees or anything. And sometimes in frivolous lawsuits, the judge can say, this is total horseshit. Not only are we dropping this suit, you are paying for their their fees as well. Because this is garbage and a waste of the court's time. Yeah, best
1: case scenario. And in other
0: ones, it flips, and it turns out the kid that we thought was molested was the molester.
1: And he killed his parents, you oh know? Oh, man. Yeah. What a twist.
0: Law and order shit there.
1: <laughs> but in the case of one of these small press guys, like he, the, the case it's, it's is still taking It's a colossal waste of time. And, and money. And it, it costs money. And yeah. this are, these are people that are working probably normal full-time jobs. Right. It also doing costs, costs on the these side, comics gate assholes,
0: money too, and I find it hard to believe that they're like this shady group of billionaires with conservative
1: comic book views. <laughs> sure, but in the case of one of these guys I was reading about, the case is taking place in New York. The mm-hmm. guy doesn't live in New York, and according to the laws in that state, you have to respond. You have to respond, or else they're just going to find in favor of the plaintiff. Oh, sure. And so not only does he have to— But that's if they go to actual court. The lawyers can be in contact first. Yeah, but, okay, you're kind of, like, downplaying the seriousness no, of this. No, I'm not
0: downplaying the seriousness of it. What I'm saying is I don't think that these Comicsgate assholes have thought everything through Sure, either. and in
1: a fair and just land, right. these g- lawsuits will all be dismissed like for what Canada. they are. Yeah, right. (laughs) Unfortunately, we live in America, which is like Halloween year round. It's like a waking nightmare from which we can't escape. It's like the purge. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So this guy's got to go to New York, hire a lawyer, stop working, go to court, and it's going to cost him thousands of dollars that he doesn't have. Yeah, if he has a good lawyer,
0: it'll never come to that, but still.
1: No, he still has to go. He has to respond. Only if
0: it becomes a court case. A suit can be settled or dismissed first.
1: Sure, but he had like a certain amount of time to respond right. to the, the legal, filing, right. according to New York law, and it was like upheaving his life. Yeah, it's so just ridiculous. this is like nightmarish behavior. Right. And it's unacceptable, and Wade GoFundMe, uh, luckily it's doing very well. It raised almost half of its goal in less than a day. Uh, he's hoping to raise $75,000, but yeah, this is awful, awful, awful. Yeah, and just ridiculous. Just the idea that anybody can sue you, or at least attempt to sue you.
0: Right. Remember when I sued you because you refused <laughs> to draw our comic book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah, the really court, fucked your life. Yeah, out. the
1: court ruled in my favor
0: joe remember that dream we had about the star trek animated comedy yeah and how great it would be oh man and how fucking hilarious it was and then we woke up and we we're like god what a stupid idea well somebody at cbs had the same dream and it's coming Star Trek Lower Decks, an animated comedy set in the Star Trek universe, is coming to the CBS All Access streaming service, according to TV Guide. The series will focus on the lowest-ranking crew members on one of the least notable ships in Starfleet. (laughs) Like,
1: I think that's funny. I Mm. think that's a fun idea.
0: The series is being developed by Rick and Morty writer Mike... McMahon? 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 Yeah, McMahon. Yeah. McMahon. 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 Also, who will also serve as the executive producer alongside Alex Kurtzman, Heather Caden, Rod Roddenberry. What why would you name your kid Rod? <laughs> come this is on. my son,
1: Roddenberry Roddenberry. Gene.
0: <laughs> Trevor Roth and Katie Kurtz. According to Star Trek Discovery Creator Kurtzman, McMahon pitched a series by saying, I want to do a show about people who will put the yellow cartridge in the food replicator so a banana can come out the other end. <laughs> This will be the first animated show for CBS All Access the rest of the world. We'll probably be able to see it on fucking Netflix. Assholes. And will be produced largely by the company's new animation studio, CBS. I Animation Productions, the new animated Trek series, which will be first in the series since Star Trek, the animated series back in 1973, which I totally fucking love. I own the complete thing on DVD. It's so great. <laughs> it looks to be part of four upcoming Star Trek series. of variety reported were in development for CBS. All access back in June. You may have heard us talking about it. These shows include the upcoming return of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> who will be played once again by Sir Patrick Stewart. No projected release date has been announced. I Look, this sounds funny and it sounds
1: cute. Is this just too much Star Trek, though? What? No, come on. I hate that argument. Too much Star Wars. No. I love Star Wars. I want a Star Wars movie I do too, but the, every
0: year. The most we've ever had running is two concurrent series at the same time. Sure, yeah. And they only overlapped for a short time. Yep, that's true. And I was fine with that four series at the same time but
1: they're all gonna be wildly different
0: i don't know cbs all access why don't they just call it the star trek network at this point fine
1: <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the star trek streaming app yeah uh yeah i think it sounds fun as long but, as they're all good i'm into it i
0: this just sounds pretty sticky as they say in uh,
1: Hollywood. yeah sure uh so this guy mike mike mcmahon man uh he wrote <laughs> mcmahon man he wrote the uh he wrote several episodes of Rick and Morty. I think about half of them, it said, uh, of this past season of Rick and Morty including McMana Manham. McMana Man.
0: Yeah. mcmahon ham man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh including the season premiere uh which was glorious. Yeah. Uh so he's a funny dude. It's yeah. a funny idea. I guess. Like I, I I just weird. Take your shot, CBS, I'm, I'm into it. it. Why not? In other TV news, the first season of Netflix's The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina debuted on Friday just in time for Halloween. As always, we're here with our knee-jerk, spoiler-free reactions to the first three episodes. This is the second small-screen adaptation of the darker side of Archie Comics from the diseased mind of Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Matt, I know that you are a huge horror baby. I just get so scared! Did you at least manage to make it through one episode? I watched the first three episodes. Yeah, me too. And
0: I loved it! It's so (laughs) good! It's so good! At first, it was a little weird because... I like the choice that they didn't just full on lean into the horror and be like, it's a horror. This is very much like a teen drama. Yeah,
1: it's kind of I mean, it's spooky, right? Yeah, like this the, the is going spooky. on.
0: You know, and there's like definitely evil dark shit going on. Yeah. But first and foremost, Sabrina's a sixteen-year-old girl in high school dealing with real high school problems. Yeah. And it's sort of like part of it's cute, and part of it's empowered, and part of it's fun, and part of it's like sad, and then part of it is super fucking satanic.
1: It's it's pretty <laughs> demonic. The yeah, the devil shows up, and yeah. he is scary. He's got a he's like a got a, a oh. gaping sharp
0: maw and yeah, his belly it's, it's gross. So gross like a goat head and like twisted horns and horns coming out of its face like
1: man <laughs> yeah and so and and so uh it's not like uh jump scary right There's, no, no, no. there hasn't at least yet not yet hasn't been any like crazy ooh startle moments like it's there like was a subtle couple. there was one for me like when we first met the familiar i was like ah, <laughs> gross <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. The first three episodes are... uh, The cat still talks, and it's super scary. Not like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. do not give anything away. The cat
0: still talks. All right, fine. (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: The cast is great. I I like all the characters. Everybody in it's great. Uh, Bronson Pinchot is amazing as the smarmy principal. Yeah. Oh, man, he's so good. Well, and they're really, like, they're doing this thing where it's sort
0: of, and this is not a spoiler, but it's sort of like this dual message where, like, Sabrina is dealing with sexism and machismo bullshit in high school, and she's also examining, like, the inherent sexism of Satanism as well, which is, like, all these witches and in the coven they're all praying to the dark lord and they're free to do whatever as long as they work for the dark lord and like yeah he's like they're
1: kind of a, he rules over
0: them and in reality yeah satanism is a big boys club for the most part and it's really cool how it's written how it looks they keep doing this like shallow focus thing in the uh, woods. it's like a fish eye fish yeah. eye lens so and the it, edges are blurry yeah it's so cool so it's like filmed like a what if Archie was a horror yeah. story, basically? It, and they, they dropped Riverdale. They name, name
1: dropped the the town of Riverdale. Yeah, so they opened you that know door. It's coming. You I know hope so. Coming. I like they. Whenever these sh- these things happen, when you've got competing, uh, you've got shows from the same company on competing networks. They're right. like, no plans yet, no plans yet, mm. and then they're like. Sure. First episode, they name-dropped R- Riverdale. Uh, and Berlanti's was, involved in this, right, and was, he loves that shit. I was shit. catching up on Black Lightning, and uh, I remember from all of the lead-in, they were like, yeah, no plans yet to cross it over with the Arrowverse. And then the episode I just watched, they name-dropped uh, Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think the, like, the name of a famous city is like— their bread and yeah, butter. It's
0: mixing this shit up.
1: Right. Oh, Vixen. They named it out Vixen uh, and Supergirl. I'm like, yep, there they go. Man,
0: the intro to
1: this show is fucking Awesome. Yeah, uh it's like they took the actual artwork they did. of Robert Hack, the artist of the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and animated it. Yeah. Like that uh,
0: really stupid Marvel Motion comic. Yeah, yeah. Not like full blown animation, <laughs> yeah. but They're just sort of moving around a yeah. little bit.
1: Uh but it even totally like not like
0: old school Sabrina from the Archie comics in yep. the very end. Ant- yeah, oh, that's man. that's
1: a that's the cover of her first appearance or yeah. the first panel of her first appearance. Um it's it's such a good show. Yeah. And I'm not really a much of a horror person, um, but it's I I love TV horror shows for some reason. Like I love Supernatural, but they're just tame enough not to scare you. Yeah, yeah. Why? I mean, they. That, Big I'll cop to that. But uh, this this is probably one of the darkest. Oh yeah. Teen-focused oh, or yeah. things I've ever seen since Riverdale. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: since Riverdale, <laughs> really?
0: Riverdale just dealing with the other aspect, like teachers having sex with students. I, and I, I, I like- saw a
1: commercial. I'm I'm a full season behind on Riverdale, like twenty some episodes. Okay, Uh but I saw a commercial and Archie's got a tattoo and he's carrying a gun. I'm like, yeah. what the hell is going on?
0: This red circle shit's really going to his head.
1: Oh man, uh, but yeah. Uh, They're doing such a good job with these Archie shows. Oh, yeah. This is
0: great. Watch this.
1: I know that Riverdale, uh, people that haven't seen it, hear about Riverdale and they're like, what kind of bullshit is that? It's the best, show ever made. It's amazing. It really is. And so is Sabrina. Definitely watch it. That is your nerd news for this
0: week, but we... Probably missed a ton of other stories while playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, my God. So hit us up on the THN forums. Big news section or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday. We broadcast on our Facebook page. It's called like Facebook Live or something.
1: The horse testicles shrink in the cold. I know. <laughs> From
0: 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. And talk to us live on THN Cover to Cover. It is your nerdy talk show. So damn it. You better call us at 402-819-4894 or you can click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, you can leave us a message at that phone number anytime or you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com.
1: It's review time in the ziggurat. Matt, there's a group of adorable moloids at the door, and they're all dressed like Fortnite characters? While I give them the razor blade and PCP-laced peanut butter cups, why don't you kick off our reviews?
0: What a bunch of little dorks. My review this week is Sex, Death, Revolution, number one from Black Mask. It's written by Magdalena Visaggio, with art by Becca Farrow, and a cover by Kiki Jenkins. I love that name, Kiki. Kiki
1: Jenkins. (laughs)
0: Here's your solicit Life is a story Hers is being rewritten Still reeling from the sudden collapse of her coven Manhattanite Sorceress Esperanza tries to rebuild But everyone in her life is saying she's done And said things that never happened What? That's what it says. Anyway, terrible things. Before she knows it, she's becoming someone entirely different. Someone she used to be. Once upon a time, life is full of ch-ch-ch-changes in this urban fantasy. God, that's terrible. That is so terrible. I'm rolling my
1: eyes so hard.
0: I know. Jesus, that is bad. From Eisner-nominated writer Magdalene Visaggio, who did Eternity Girl, Kim and Kim, and artist Becca Farrow, who did Lady Castle. With a title like Sex, Death, Revolution, I expected, well, a little more sex, death, and revolution, but that's not necessarily a bad thing here. What the solicit doesn't mention is that Esperanza is a trans woman that's finally letting go of her old life and having some emotional trouble. Like usual, she looks to magic to solve her problems, but magic isn't always the answer. She's even smoking again, which she quit before her transition. But they show in this really weird scene where Esperanza tries to light up a cigarette in a restaurant in America, which left me wondering, what the hell year is this supposed to be? (laughs) Visaggio's dialogue is very ready for TV in that it's quick, smart, and just snarky enough to make the characters sound human. Apparently, the coven in the book works more like a small tech startup with magic engineers that specialize in body magic and conceptual magic, arguing about how the two could never work together. They even have an intern, I guess. I like the story, and even with a lack of action, Visagio kept the pages turning well, although there was a lot of mystical jargon, like, nothing doesn't exist, and whatnot, but, yeah. you know, that's how witches talk, right? The art was a little sparse, even for a witchy soap opera, but not bad. Becca
1: what Farrow has some mean? really... What does that mean, even for a witchy soap opera? <laughs>
0: Well, what I'm saying is, obviously, it's a lot of talking heads. It's a soap opera. So this works, but it was a little sparse in some panels. You know what I mean? Like, she has some really good panels and some other panels where it's just a head floating in a background. Not that it's lazy. I couldn't do any better. I did think there were some panels that were a little overcolored as well. And I don't know if it was just supposed to be a flashback. So it was supposed to look differently. But there was definitely a section where everything was so pink, it looked edible. of strange. I
1: feel bad judging uh, the color work on review copies because they are often uh, low-resolution, not final print files, and so they I can don't look think a little off.
0: I don't think that's the truth of Black Mask, though. I think Black Mask sends out the final thing that you're seeing because there's no stamps or anything weird. It doesn't say this is a review copy. While this wasn't what I thought it would be at all, Sex, Death, Revolution is a clever story that uses magic to tell the story of a transitioning woman, and it works very well. I'm giving this a buy
1: it. Okay, uh, so you were kind of able to get over the uh, eye rolling, ultra precious pretentiousness. Oh, it was there. Um, Definitely, there. I was not. Uh, it bugged me to no end. I liked the story. And like you express confusion about the solicit where it says people are saying she said things and did things that never happened. But that's like the right. whole plot of the book. Her, her her history is being rewritten. Right. And, and I got uh, it. It's a mystery. Uh, no, just the way that it was worded. Sure, in the sure. solicit, I was like, wait, what? But <laughs> like, so I like the concept and I like the art, but the dialogue just really grated on me. Uh, and for that reason, I'm giving it a skim it. Fair enough. Like, I just I couldn't. Connect to what was happening.
0: Joe Patrick, your turn. Take it, it away. It is my
1: turn. My review for this week is of Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror, number one. From Ahoy Comics, written by Tom Payer and Mark Russell, with art by Fred Harper and Peter Snidgebejurg. It's 40-ish pages for three ninety-nine. Here's your solicit. Edgar Allan Poe mangles classic tales and brand new stories in this cross between Drunk History and Tales from the Crypt. First, meet Ahoy's own alcohol-damaged version of Poe in The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, adapted by Tom Payer and drawn by Fred Harper. Then, sugary cereal meets vampirism in Dark Chocolate, written by Mark Russell, and artist, the aforementioned Peter Snedjbjerg. There's extra stuff as well that they talk about, but I didn't read it. Don't.
0: Okay. Sorry. <laughs>
1: uh, there's a prose story. There's a fun cartoon, and there's an interview with Mark Russell. It's all very fun.
0: Well, I read it all, so oh, don't worry, folks. Yeah, you read all the te- te- You
1: read the, all the text and everything. Good job. I did. Yeah, I did. Good for you. That's my job as a reviewer. Okay. Good for you. This is I read comics, man. Not oh sorry books with words. Anthology horror has found its next crypt keeper: a drunk syphilitic Edgar Allan Poe. As Poe coughs, burps, and otherwise secretes all over the place, he sets up yeah. two Yeah. He sets up two pretty wonderful horror comedies. Uh like I said, the facts in the case of M. Valdemar. This story follows a dying baker who hires a physician slash mesmerist to help him forestall death until he can complete the job that will save his bakery and secure his son's future. He becomes a living corpse rotting into a disgusting mess, begging to be put out of his misery. We've all been there, though. Yeah, tell me about it. Tom Payer's script is gross and funny, full of pose, flowery narration. I'm not at all familiar with Fred Harper, but he does a great job on the art. His style reminded me a lot of Hitman's John McRae. Oh,
0: yeah. I didn't think of that, but definitely.
1: Yeah. The second story, Dark Chocolate, takes us to Chocolavania, where the Marquis de Coco throws regular breakfast parties for visiting dignitaries. Unfortunately, this breakfast goes on for longer than expected and the encroaching sunlight threatens to reveal the Marquis' vampire nature. I loved Mark Russell's surprisingly tragic story where all of the characters are based on serial mascots like Count Chocula, Captain Crunch, and Frankenberry. Peter Snaberg's art is phenomenal, taking familiar elements of the mascots and incorporating them into his own style perfectly. There's a panel where... uh. The Marquis de Berry shows up and he introduces his sons, uh, Frank and (laughs) Bo. And they're human, but I swear to God, they look like Frank and Berry and Boo Berry. It was amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, without it. Yeah, totally.
1: Snifter of Terror number one is a really great mix of tongue in cheek horror stories by top notch creators And like all Ahoy books, it's packed full of extra content that you can choose to read or not because you are a human being with rights. Oh, please. If you're in the mood for some spooky, fun, check this out. It's a buy it.
0: Yeah, this was a really fun anthology. And Ahoy seems to be doing a lot of stuff right these days. Uh, It definitely reminded me of some old British anthologies that I read. I had too much fun with the dark chocolate story and would read that every month hell yeah dude I would read a regular it. book about that <laughs> all the pro stuff was a lot of fun just talking about old horror books and their inspirations I'll, I'll look at anything Shannon Wheeler does and love it this was worth every
1: penny I'm giving it a huge buy
0: it
1: so that is a buy it and a skim it for sex death revolution number one and a double buy it for snifter of terror number one we'll post our written reviews over at two at so they can haunt us for years to come <laughs> but we want to hear from you call us email us tweet at us facebook us write your opinions on a pristine mint condition vintage booberry box and mail it to us whatever works for you but we need to know what you thought of these comics
0: they definitely don't make booberry anymore right that is a thing of the past
1: um i think you can still get it in some areas god i loved booberry. but i find that in omaha it's only pretty much count chocula Good news, Joe! Those apples we were just bobbing for, they were
0: laced with a small dose of John Jameson's blood. So, guess who's gonna wolf out any minute here? Yes! That's right, us! But it won't last too long. So let's run, howl, murder, maim, and review eight more of this Halloween's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed round before we're found nude, covered in blood, by the cops. You got your ups and downs with everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just like coming down off any fun drug, right? Yep. Ludicrous
1: Speed! Go! Deathstroke Yogi Bear, number one from DC. In one of the most ridiculous stories I've read in quite a while, Yogi Bear hires Deathstroke the Terminator to help him track down the missing boo-boo and thwart evil scientists that have filled Jellystone Park with murderous mutant ma- animals. Frank Terry's script isn't too bad, but the tough-talking, G-dropping Slade Wilson feels off when compared to the version we're getting from Christopher Priest. Mark Texier's art is good... But I gotta say, the realistic versions of these Hanna-Barbera characters is kind of off-putting. Plus, the secret squirrel backup is a hard pass for me. I had some fun with Deathstroke, Yogi Bear number one. There are some funny jokes, but not enough. It gets a skimmit.
0: I did not. I thought it was stupid and a bad idea. I give it a leave it.
1: That's fine. Justice League Dark, Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour, number one from DC.
0: Unlike the other Justice League tie-in I'll be talking about, this number one finishes the storyline, which is kind of confusing. Stop it, DC. Just do this in the pages of the books they fucking tie into and save some poor comic shop clerk the time of trying to decide where
1: the hell to file this. Or do a separate mini.
0: Yeah, whatever. That's fine, too. That said, Tinian's story ties up nicely and ties into Diana's ancient origins really well. There were a few different artists telling the stories from different groups' perspective, but it worked great. And I love what Tinian is doing with the state of magic in the DCU. I'm giving this a buy. I gotta catch up. Hexwives, number one from Vertigo. Get it? They're not ex-wives, they're hex-wives. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Hex It's a joke. I'm here to help.
1: Hex Wives follows a coven of badass witches worshiping Satan and smashing the patriarchy as they're reincarnated throughout the centuries. Meanwhile, the family of witch finders that's been hunting them for hundreds of years is hot on their trail. The problem is, no one in the coven has recovered the memories of their past lives yet. Look out, ladies. Ben Blacker on his own, no Ben Acker. His script doesn't shy away from the ultra violence, but his dialogue gets a little too cute at times. I really like Mirka Andolfo's art style, but I found her efforts in this issue a bit inconsistent. Overall, I'm interested in seeing where the series is going, but the execution could use some improvement. Hexwives number one, get it, Hexwives, gets a strong skimmit. This was Blacker Sans Acker. Blacker Sans Acker, correct. (laughs) There
0: you go. What If, Magic, number one from Marvel. This title is the most interesting thing Marvel has done with Ileana Rasputin in years, and it doesn't count! I know. What if books aren't supposed to count? Unless they sell really well, then we get a watered-down miniseries with different creators. Whatever. Leo Williams' script was great and completely devoid of the soulless monster version of magic we have running around with a giant sword and one of the X-teams. I don't even know where the hell she's at, and I don't care. She was
1: in New F- Moon's Dead Souls most recently.
0: Felipe Andrade's arc was amazing, and I want more of this guy now. I love His Felipe style- Andrade. God, he's good. His style reminds me of Charles Vess with some digital fuzzy focus effects, and it was awesome. Why can't magic be this cool,
1: Marvel? I'm giving it a buy-in. Remember when What If Issues had full titles and The Watcher was there, setting it all up? Yeah. I fucking missed those days, It was so great. Why not just do it again? Because Nick Fury shot him in the face.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think he's feeling much better now, though.
1: Batman Secret Files, number one from DC. I loved the DC Secret Files and Origins specials from back in the day so I was really excited when this was announced unfortunately it's not a return to form but rather a pretty decent collection of short stories that explore the lives and minds of people affected by Batman and his rogues gallery I'm not sure why this book exists but I do know that I want Brad Walker to draw a Batman title ASAP absolutely that story was so good
0: yeah Fred ba- Walker's a total badass.
1: Batman Secret Files number one gets a buy it. Justice League Aquaman Drowned Earth number one from DC. See if you can follow me here, folks.
0: The Drowned Earth event may have started in the pages of Justice League number 10 and then moved to Aquaman 41, but continues here in this number one and then jumps back to Justice League 11, which is really fucking confusing. <laughs> Again! there's no reason they couldn't do this in the regular issue of either title and nothing major happens here that they needed a standalone issue for seriously, you could skip this but then again, nothing major ever seems to happen in these special one shots other than telling you what story you need to read next why? why stick this in the middle and call it number one it makes no sense I'm
1: giving it a skimming Spider Force number one from Marvel Speaking of books that are impossible to file, this book's logo is an actual spider followed by the word force. (laughs) Yep. It's not good. Uh, However, the story is great. Christopher Priest and Paulo Sequeira team up for this Spider geddon tie in. Kane assembles a team of spider persons for a. Technically, spider piece. Spider piece. For yeah. a suicide mission to the radioactive ruins of the Inheritor homeworld, Priest's script is great, Sequera's art is top-notch, plus the two original characters they created for this series seem super cool. Fair warning, this does take place after Spider-Geddon number 2, but if you're reading this, you're probably also following the main series. Spider-Force number 1 is a great example of a quality event tie-in by quality talent, buy it. I've been having
0: too much fun with these. It's ridiculous.
1: Planet of the Apes, Time of Man, number
0: one from Boom. Here we get three stories focusing on the Apes' worst enemy. Man! All three stories were wonderful shorts with talent like David F. Walker and Dan Abnett writing. The Abnett and Carlos Magno story wasn't Magno's best work, but still visually stunning and had a very bittersweet ending. The final story, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with watercolor art by Morgan Beam, was amazing and really unexpected especially for the choice of art totally worked though i love this whole book but 40 pages for eight dollars come on boom split this up into a two-part mini series if you need to but with a cover price like that you are going to prevent a lot of people from picking this up and it's too bad i'm giving it a buy it but eight bucks is too damn expensive for this
1: small press what are you gonna do is it that small, though? Really? Especially for a license.
0: Scritchy, scratch, scarchy, scritch. That is your ludicrous speed round, and... Scritchy, scratch, scarchy, scritch is the sound of a record skipping written by a man who's never listened to any hip-hop, and that man is Jeff Loeb. From his Vertigo title of yesteryear... The Witching Hour. Everybody knows it's wiki, 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 wiki,
1: <laughs> I don't think this they were, like, onoma- scratching, though, like a
0: DJ. <laughs> this onomatopoeia was submitted by Stately Lord Fungus via the Twitters. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can scratch it into one of your prized records and mail it to us or just send it to us on any of our social media or shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at com.
1: He called it a retromatopoeia, which I'm totally stealing. <laughs> God that's terrible. I hate no, that. It's I hate awesome. that more than I hate that more than staycation.
0: No, it's great. I hate that more than webinar. <laughs> It's Halloween in the ziggurat, and we're celebrating in the Sanctum Sanctorum, babies. All the Moloids are choking on blood and sailing the psychedelic seas to hell. Joe, it appears our sacrifice has pleased our Dark Lord Trigon, and he's pretty impressed with our goat horns and woolly chaps, too. We have been given the (laughs) gift of foresight, and we demand knowledge of next week's comics. Oh, Dark One! Joe, what has Lord Trigon chosen for you to read next week? It just occurred to me that we're dressed like uh, the pa- Tom Hanks, the and- Pagans, yeah, <laughs> the people against goodness and normalcy from Dragnet, <laughs> uh, from beloved Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd film adaptation Dragnet. I love that movie. If you haven't seen it, see it. it's so good.
1: My pick for next week Tom is Tom Hanks raps in it. He does, yeah. <laughs> My pick for next week is the Green Lantern number one from DC Comics, written by Grant Morrison with art by Liam Sharp. It's forty pages for four ninety nine, and here is your solicit. In this debut issue, when Earth's space cop Hal Jordan encounters an alien hiding in plain sight, it sets off a chain of events that rocks the Green Lantern Corps and quite possibly the multiverse at large to its very core. There's an intergalactic conspiracy afoot, as well as a traitor in the GL Corps' ranks. So strap in for more mind-bending adventures in this masterpiece in the making. I
0: I feel like, wow. They're really selling it. Yeah, huh. I feel like fifty percent of Green Lantern fans are gonna be like, What the fuck is this? And yeah. the other fifty is gonna be like, Oh, this is so weird, I gotta stay on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh I'm into it. Grant Morrison coming yeah. back to DC to do uh kind of a stripped down back to basics take on Green Lantern. Well, it's still like a full on intergalactic. No, no, no. In you the know. sense that like He's getting back to the roots of, of Hal Jordan just a being cop. a space cop yeah. and and working cases yeah. in that context. No Not more like,
0: Rainbow Lanterns. Sure, right. The secret of the Puce Lantern. You know, <laughs> like, oh, no!
1: <laughs> and I I know that Morrison is kind of a love him or hate him, hit and miss type of dude, but... I
0: love him. I love him. I apologize for him at his most weird. I love him.
1: <laughs> totally love him. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Matt, what is your pick for next week?
0: My pick is Marvel Knights, 20th Anniversary, number one. The Marvel Knights are coming back. It's written by Donny Cates. It's from Marvel Comics, obviously. Written by Donny Cates with Travel Foreman on art. Hey. Yeah. They got him away from Valiant for a little bit, I guess. In celebration of the legendary imprint founded by Marvel's CCO, Chief Cooking Officer. There it is. A new crop of talent stands poised to tell a groundbreaking story across the Marvel Universe. In the cemetery, the cemetery, you know the one. The blind man does not know who he is or why he has come to this particular grave at this moment. He doesn't know the burly police officer with the wild story who has approached him or the strangely intense man who sits in the rear seat of the patrol car, his eyes flashing green. But all of that is about to change because Matt Murdock is beginning to remember. In a colorless world without heroes, the spark of light must come from the dark. Whoa! Whoa! So Marvel Knights back in the day was Daredevil, Punisher, Black, Black Panther, Black Panther, was Inhumans. In there. Yeah, uh, they dropped Paul the Inhumans Jenkins in Inhumans. there. That's right. Which really didn't fit at all because everything else was kind of street level stories. But in that point, they brought the Inhumans Pam- to New York. Uh,
1: Black Panther, I suppose.
0: Yeah, he was in New York at the time doing yeah. stuff. So.
1: Yeah, I loved Marvel Knights. The, the books were great, it's except for a- that fucking Punisher book. Ooh. The first Punisher book where he was a. Ooh. He was back from the dead with angel guns.
0: Yeah, that was a whole thing. <laughs> and I will say, I remember like the Marvel Knights teamed up to go rescue a girl that was kidnapped by You Look the Troll. And it pissed me off to no end that You Look the Troll had a cell phone.
1: <laughs> I was, like, was that in the actual book, yeah, Marvel Knights? That, that was in Marvel's team book
0: Yeah, the team book, Marvel Knights, yeah. which was not That great. came later, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But I love all these street level characters <laughs> You they, think they <laughs> troll with themselves <laughs> yeah. They have been a bit wasted And this is a way for Donnie Cates to reignite them I mean, you've got Iron Fist on the cover Jessica Jones is there I'm assuming or Luke Cage is there I think this other guy, I'm not really sure But I hope it's not Wolverine Let me see that's not Wolverine. Oh, that's Wolverine, my dude. That's Wolverine? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think it's Wolverine. I don't need Wolverine as a Marvel Night.
1: Well, I don't know if it's going to be like a team book.
0: Nah, but I mean, like, they're going to focus on all these street-level guys doing stuff.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it could be a good time.
0: I do want White Tiger back. Love the White Tiger.
1: Yeah, I like White Tiger, too. The THN Trade of the Week is Doctor of Horror and Other Stories, illustrated by Graham Ingalls. It's a hardcover from Fanagraphics, written by Al Feldstein and various, illustrated by Graham Ingalls. Never been a fan of various. Mm. Here is your solicit. EC horror comics are famous for their gleefully ghoulish stories and their outrageous twist endings. Gleefully ghoulish. (laughs) served up with a sly wink to the reader and a generous dose of dreadful puns. No artist captured that mood better and made his readers shudder more than ghastly Graham Ingalls. Ingalls set the standard for fiendishly delightful depictions of dripping slime, dismembered limbs, and shambling corpses. This volume features Ingalls' earliest EC crime and horror work from the pages of such titles as *Tales from the Crypt*, *Haunt of Fear*, crime suspense stories, and *War Against Crime*. Uh, I mean, it goes on.
0: Yeah, but you get the picture. Yeah, it's, it's a collection one of the of greatest EC creators ever. Yes, that made shit so scary that Congress literally held the comic books up as the destruction of youth in America and passed a law. That comics couldn't be this fucking scary anymore. They literally invented the comics code because of this shit. Because it was well, too scary.
1: Yeah, it's comics, yeah, the comics industry formed their own right. self regulating body. They did
0: it to get yeah. out from under Congress. And yeah. Like,
1: so, yeah, this is the spookiest stuff oh, from one of the greatest horror comic artists of all time.
0: There's our picks, but we want to know what you nerds are reading, too. Tell us what you are excited to check out next Wednesday, and be sure to add these titles to your profile. These and anything else that you might be reading. It's, it's the right thing to do and the nerdy
1: way to do it. Get- Coming down like a hammer. Get ready for a slammer. One, two, three, four, five. down, baby. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, little did you know this whole time you haven't just been listening to the THN Halloween Spooktacular Special. It's also a very, too super rare, fifth week Halloween spooktacular! (laughs) (laughs) And what better way for a macabre fifth week special? Macabre? just macabre. All right. Yep. And what better? (laughs) (laughs) Macabre! And what better for a Macabre fifth week special (laughs) segment than the THN Top 5? This week, we'll be counting down our top five favorite horror comic artists. Ooh.
0: Joe Patrick, I will get us started. These are in no order because I can't rank these guys.
1: Yes, you can. God you damn. can and you will.
0: Fine. I'm going to rank them. That's
1: what a top five
0: is. Then I'm going to start with Ben Templesmith. All right. I first encountered Ben Temple Templesmith in, way back in 2002 in the pages of 30 Days of Night. His art was the stuff of nightmares, and it looked like a mix of a Goya painting and Dave McKean. If... Right after they finished what they did, they smeared their hand across the art, yeah. Or like a uh, drizzled beer from a straw on yeah. top of it. His vampires were shrieking monsters with mouths full of thousands of teeth, moving so fast that they literally blurred on the page. Temple Smith wasn't going for sharp lines or details, but really out of focus nightmare scenes of pure violence with solid blacks highlighted by glowing cinders of yellows and orange. Temple Smith would go on to inspire an army of impersonators that did not exist before this book. And he's one of the only horror artists that I can remember that truly changed the genre during my time as a reader. I haven't loved everything Ben Temple Smith's done, mm-hmm. but you've got to admit, like, he changed the way we think about horror comics.
1: Yeah, that's a good pick. I didn't I didn't even think of him. It didn't occur to me, but right. that's a really great pick. Uh, my number five is Richard Corbin. Who I first encountered on Marvel Max books, or uh, maybe they weren't all Max books, but okay. like uh, he did some Punisher stuff. He did, uh, didn't he draw that Hulk, he that did Hulk co-
0: story? No, he did some covers. Banner, it was called. Oh, no, you're right. He did do banners. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and then he also drew that terrible Luke Cage miniseries that Brian Azzarello wrote.
0: Yes, that was bad.
1: And so I didn't really know him as a horror artist, but I saw him doing, he did a bunch of. Uh, Story adaptations like Lovecraft adaptations. Yeah, and actually he's
0: my number four.
1: Yeah, uh, he did a bunch of Hellboy stuff, and Richard Corbin's art is like,
0: it's like this visceral, it's thick and sort gross. Of R. Crumb almost type characters, kind of. but not as like sexually highlighted right. as R. Crumb. Just more like beefy. And everyone's and visceral. got like
1: sausage hands, yeah, and, yeah, and everything looks really wet and creepy. furry, and, and everybody
0: is- looks fucking
1: terrified. Yeah. The looks on their faces are horrifying. <laughs> and so yeah, he like he's not only a horror artist, like another uh like several uh, other people on my list, but he's just got this quality to his art that's creepy and yeah.
0: gross. He's the creator of Den from Heavy Metal. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's he made his fame back in the 80s working on horror anthologies like Creepy and Eerie and would go on to work on Heavy Metal. It was called Metal Hurlant or whatever, in France. And when they brought it to the U.S., it became heavy metal. So there you go. Corbin also painted the cover for Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell record. No shit! Yep. And in the last ten years, he's been working at Dark Horse, illustrating and adapting Edgar Allan Poe stories, and working on some of his own original stuff. I first encountered Corbin's work during the Brian Azzarello run of Hellblazer, 146 through 150, in a story called Hard Hard Time. Time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't
1: remember that he drew that. John
0: Constantine in prison, man. In America. Yeah. And you know what? People... Hated it. Yes. If you go back and you look at the reviews, they're like, what is this art? <laughs> like, this <laughs> sucks! And they're like, uh, well, he's this multi-award winning, brilliant yeah, horror Yeah, people artist. don't know no
1: better. Yeah. Oh, man. He- Richard Corbin, my number four. Awesome. Well, then, my number four is Phil Hester. Another artist not necessarily known as a horror guy. Yeah. But he's done a lot of horror stuff. Definitely. Including... Uh, a lengthy run on Swamp Thing in the 90s. Uh, he created a character called The Wretch, which is like a supernatural mystery yeah. kind of story. Yeah.
0: Which he keeps threatening you to do more of. I know. <laughs> I want him to. It's great. Uh, well, Tim Benson keeps threatening him yeah, right. to try and they make They put out that very
1: of. nice book, that omnibus of awesome. all The Wretch books. It's, it's awesome. Wonderful. Uh, I love Phil's style. Uh, whether he's drawing superheroes or scary monsters, he's got uh, this heavy black mm-hmm. lined, lots of dark shading. Uh, very like solid angular shapes. Yeah, and when he did some he,
0: swamp thing for a while as well. Yeah, and it I, was really you really may have creepy remember, stuff. You
1: may have heard me mention that
0: earlier. Oh, I didn't hear you say <laughs> that. Sorry.
1: Um, but yeah. So when he turn when he turns away from doing superhero stuff and does horror stuff, his style fits perfectly. Right, and it's
0: scary and he definitely changes it a little bit too, though. Like it gets his lines get a little thinner. He like you. I, well, it depends on the book. Yeah. He always, he, like, his horror stuff reminded me of not in the same style of horror, but the framing and the way he draws stuff, like a Stephen Bissett kind of look, where there's lots of, like, viney shit
1: going on and weird creepy lines all around, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Phil Phil is an artist and a writer that uh, deserves way more success in this field, though he does do a lot of work, and he's done pretty well. Uh, I think that he deserves to be, like, listed with the greats, because wow. he's... He's that good. He's not on my list. But he is
0: that good. You're right.
1: I guess your friendship means nothing to you.
0: (laughs) Not when it comes to top five lists. No, it's not about friends. (laughs) All
1: right. What's your number three then? My number three goes to
0: Gary Gianni. Gianni was a name I discovered through my love of Mike Mignola's Hellboy. We'll hear more about him in a little bit here. In the pages of Hellboy, Almost Colossus, number one, where Gianni did a Corpus Monstrum backup story called Autopsy in B-Flat. Corpus Monstrum would go on to become Gianni's Monster Men, all of which were short stories in Dark Horse Horror Anthologies, Dark Horse Presents, or Hellboy Backup Stories. They're all reprinted in Gary Gianni's Monster Men and other scary stories, which you should absolutely pick up. Gianni has a very detailed thin line that lends itself perfectly to his gothic horror style. His monsters are right out of H.P. Lovecraft's nightmares with swarms of tentacles and claws. He also did some Conan illustrations that are unbelievably amazing. Fucking awesome stuff. I love Gary Gianni. He's my number three.
1: Yeah, I like Gary Gianni a lot. I just haven't really read a ton of his work.
0: He doesn't get enough pub, and I think he does way more overseas than he does here.
1: Did Gary? No.
0: You're thinking of Guy Davis,
1: I bet. I am thinking of Guy Davis. Yep. yep.
0: They have similar styles.
1: They do. Yeah. My number three is kind of a tag team. They they go together. It's Steve Bissett and John Totalbin. Okay. Uh, they are uh, an art team most famously known for their work on Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which is where I first saw their work. Gotcha. It's terrifying.
0: It's, it's horrifying.
1: It's really, like, you. it's nightmarish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there are panels that they drew that are burned into my mind for Definitely. all time.
0: There's covers that they drew. that It's like you just hold them up and go, Ugh!
1: Yeah. <laughs> and when I think of Swamp Thing, I think of Steve Bissett's Swamp yeah, Thing. absolutely. Uh, John Tolibin was his inker, but he is an amazing artist in his own right. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying uh, when we were talking about Phil, uh, every panel is packed with this creepy detail, yeah. like vines crawling up. Like Walls. even like the daylight panels
0: were super creepy. The yeah. way they drew the swamp and stuff, where like everything was alive, but it was also growing over the death all around yeah. it. You know, like
1: uh, One of the earliest issues in their run, uh, the second or third issue, Swamp Thing goes to hell. Yeah, uh, and he meets Anton Arcane, who he had previously defeated and and he died. He immortalized him. Yeah, and Arcane is like, oh my old foe. How long has it been? The the ages of the bent Tormentus. How long? How long? And it's been like small things like it's been three days. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you
0: died three days ago. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> and yeah, like I'll never forget it. Uh, and there uh, the underwater vampire town. Oh Yeah, like there's a story about like this
0: town that was wiped out in a flood. Yeah. But, like the basically the river broke. And flooded this whole area, and it just became swamp, and the town is sunk down there, and there's a bunch of vampires that lived in the town, and they just stayed living underwater. Yeah, they don't need to breathe. And, like, kids would come and swim, and there's this panel where, like, these kids are swimming, and they're hanging out, and they all get out, like, come on, we got to go back into town or school or whatever, and this one kid is still in the water, and like, hey, Timmy, come on. Timmy, what are you doing? And I remember the panels, they show his face, and he's just, like, blank face. Yeah. And then you could see under the water, and there's, like, five vampires sucking on his legs. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. All right. I have a feeling our number two and one are either going to be the same or flip flopped. Quite possibly. What's your number two? When I think of the Swamp Thing, yeah, okay.
0: I <laughs> think of Bernie Wrightson.
1: Our, our top two are the same. Then. Okay.
0: <laughs> I first encountered Wrightson on the original Swamp Thing run when I bought issue number four from a garage sale in Waco, Texas at age five. Yeah. <laughs> the cover had a hunched over Swamp Thing and it was being stalked by a werewolf on the moors of Scotland. I fell in love with. With Wrightson's visceral monsters and the pure rage and terror he put into his characters. Later on in life, I would make my most expensive comic purchase ever on a very fine condition, House of Secrets number 92, first appearance of the Swamp Thing, that I will never part with. Wrightson was also a complete sweetheart the three times I met him at conventions, and to this day, he draws the best goddamn Frankenstein in the business.
1: Speaking of uh, Phil Hester yet again, uh, many years ago... Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, there was a comic convention in Omaha called AlphaCon. It was a colossal failure. Yes.
0: Uh, They they called it AlphaCon because they had one. They had one, yeah. (laughs) It was the first and only. It was also,
1: yeah, (laughs) OmegaCon. Yeah, yeah, really. And uh, I think it was Big Mike, actually, uh, commissioned Phil Hester, uh, Bernie Wrightson, and one other artist whose name is Escaping Me. Um, he wasn't beset. No. Who was it? It wasn't Pete Craig Russell, was it? No, he wasn't there. Charles Vess? Charles Vess. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So l- listing those names off, you can see why AlphaCon was a failure. They yeah. spent way too much money on
0: guests. Oh, and that was just the artists. The, the Every stars Star that showed up War, were the, ridiculous. The
1: largest collection of living Star Wars yeah. actors appearing in one place but at the same that's time. That's got to
0: be at least half a million bucks right yeah. there.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> then nobody came. Yeah. Uh, so Big Mike commissioned Phil... Bernie Wrightson and uh, Charles Vest to do a three piece swamp thing. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't, I've said his name twice. Charles Vest did his thing. Yes. And then Bernie Wrightson did this angelic. Yeah. Uh, like, divine Stunning. Swamp Thing piece. And then they handed it to, to Phil, and Phil was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I gotta follow that. Yeah. Like, let him go first. Yeah, come right. On. Come on.
1: <laughs> give the guy's ego a, a, a soothing letdown. Um I also encountered Brain Rice for the first time on Swamp Thing, but not in the comics. Uh, before trades were a thing, uh Marvel and DC used to do Digest sized collections yeah. through like book publishers. Mm-hmm. I think DC Marvel had their own uh, book imprint, but I think DC's was like Tor Books or something. Um, Couldn't tell you. Doesn't matter. Uh, and this was like a digest sized collection of the first several appearances of Swamp Thing, black and white. Uh, so the art was even like way moodier. Yeah. And I was probably also around four or five when I got it. And again, I can close my eyes and think of Swamp Thing, and there will be panels from that book that I had forty years ago. Yeah. Uh, specifically, the Unmen, which yeah. were Ar- uh, yeah, Anton yeah. Arcane's like army of like weird science rejects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're and, mutants
0: he made to kill the Swamp Thing.
1: Yeah, and one of them is a misshapen head mm-hmm. on a hand. Yeah. Uh, with no neck or body. Yep. And it is one of the creepiest fucking things I've ever seen in a comic book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I love Bernie Wrightson. If he you get a chance, to pick up his
0: Frankenstein Alive, Alive book. It yeah. came out from IDW probably in the last, I'm going to say in the last 10 years. Yeah. It's been a little while. Unfortunately,
1: he died before they were able to finish yeah. it. But Kelly Jones, stunningly beautiful, wrapped
0: it up. like gothic yeah. horror Frankenstein story. Incredible shit. Yeah. Oh. All right. So well, our number one with a bullet, we both picked.
1: Mike Mignola. Oh, really? That's not who I picked. Yes, it is. Shut up. <laughs> uh, obviously, Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame. He is my favorite horror artist, and it's not. His art is not gross and creepy and scary. It's, it's quite like the opposite. Gothic, yes, and subtle Heavy and shadowy and dark. Yeah.
0: Uh, I like. I first encountered. Magnola actually, like when he was doing fill in stuff on Marvel and DC. In Rocket the 80s. Raccoon. Yeah. Is
1: where I first saw Mike Magnolia. Same
0: here. I still have his Rocket Raccoon. What was the DC
1: space series that he did? Uh, Cosmic Odyssey Cosmic was Odyssey. A, a wonderful comic book yes. uh, event.
0: He also did some Alpha Flight. He worked on. He did some X fill-ins here and there. And he did
1: some fill-in issues of John Byrne uh, Superman during John Byrne yeah. era.
0: And it was just too weird for everybody. Yeah, like and I liked it because it was so weird. It stood out, and I just never seen covers like that. Like I remember yeah. there was a New Mutants cover that he did with. Uh, I want to say it was binary and cannonball on the cover and i was just like what am i looking at here it was so strange and later on in the 90s he put out hellboy yes and it was all over this is his wheelhouse yeah this is where you belong he i mean it was seat of destruction i still think is one of the most important horror comics of our time because it again it just changed the genre it was a horror superhero Hellboy is a demon that fights demons and monsters and shit. Mm-hmm. Like the worst of the worst. And it was so amazing what he did. He poured his superhero sensibilities into it, but his love of gothic horror and sci-fi was there as well. It's like
1: folklore kind of Totally. Scary, not totally. monster of the week or gore fest But scary. it's still
0: like there's Nazis there, there's aliens yeah. there, there's vampires. Like it's all friggin' there. Yeah. And he just has heavy, dark lines. And, like, some of the scariest shit he would do would just be, like, a panel by itself that has nothing to do with the story. And it's, like, a broken statue. And there's a bird on it. And the bird is whispering and is saying, leave. Or something. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Man. Mike Mignola, so fucking talented, I have his shit tattooed on my
1: body. Uh, I do not, but I have seen Matt's tattoos many times. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. He is far and away my favorite horror
1: artist. Agreed. Number one. Listeners, big news. We have a new sponsor. What? Somebody has thrown us money? Yeah. Oh my God. A lot. Ugh. A lot of money. <laughs> Frankly, it could have gone towards his Patreon, but uh, it's somebody you might be familiar with. A little friend of mine named Carl D. Smith. Never heard of him. A.K.A. Camarillo Brillo. Oh,
0: why didn't you say that in the first place?
1: That's right. He is the star of such illustrious podcasts as Make Eternia Great Again, which is all about He-Man and Goad Kicker and he has a new Patreon where he is putting up all sorts of fun stuff to do with his writing and gaming adventures. The URL is patreon.com slash Smith, and this is what you're going to be able to find there. Patron-only access to full stories, fun gaming events, breaking news, and even occasional swag. Patrons pay as low as a buck a month, It's charged month to month. There's no long-term commitment. As with all patrons, you can come and go as you please. But it's not just for people that want to pay. There's also free content for public users, including updates and samples of projects that are in the works. Carl has three levels, he calls them, of his work. Uh, One is his all-ages level, where he's got projects like Draw Your Own Adventure and Bigfoot Jones. Uh, He's got uh, something that's appropriate for most ages, horror books like (laughs) most ages most ages (laughs) Uh, his horror anthology the horror of loon lake and be careful what you wish for he also has play your own adventure which is a line of game books hex card based solo adventures and full tabletop rpgs then he's got his teen plus stuff only for grown-ups kids His horror books, The Darkness Out of Carthage, which is like Lovecraft meets the Punic Wars. It's fun stuff. Historical fiction. And he's got an upcoming fantasy series, Cardinal Fates. Go to the Patreon now. They're currently in the middle of a live playthrough of his first Play Your Own Adventure game book. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure-style branching path novella with RPG staples like character creation and dice rolling. All the money you throw to Carl goes exclusively towards leveling up his work. Being able to get his name out there, get uh, his promotion going, it includes uh, tabling at conventions, uh, being able to travel and set up at shows, and all the feedback and encouragement is appreciated, and it's going to fuel his productivity, guys carl's a great writer he's He's a a great guy he's a creative juggernaut he is seriously a huge supporter of this show and he has been since almost the beginning he made just he recently
0: made a huge life choice to really chase this too and like honestly i think it's absolutely worth throwing some money at this guy not because he's a friend of ours but because he's taking a chance okay folks Go throw some money at Carl Smith.
1: He quit his job. His family is in a disarray. He quit his job. He ditched his family. If Bigfoot <laughs> Jones isn't a hit,
0: it's your fault. That's right. When we find the body of Carl Smith, it's your fault. All right? <laughs> Patreon.com slash Carl D. Smith. We'll have that right in the notes for this show. Absolutely. Well. Thank you, Carl, for your sponsorship. You're too goddamn sweet to us. One, two,
1: three, four, five. Breakdown, baby. Well, that's it for this edition of THN Top 5. We want to know what you guys choose for your top five favorite Yeah, who horror are we missing? Artist.
0: There's got to be some arguments. Oh, there's lots. Yeah.
1: Uh, there's Graham Ingalls, who I had never really, like, I always knew about EC horror, but I didn't, kn- I don't know enough
0: about it to know, like, specific names. I love it, and I love what he does. I can't put him in my top five because, like, I didn't even discover those books until way later, and right. now I have an appreciation for All them. All of
1: my picks are, like, formative. Right, same, same here. They, I, I, they got me young. We dummies. Uh, but yeah, head to the THN forums or the Facebook fan page or email us, send us an mp3, call us for cover to cover. We want to know. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk horror artists, man. Excelsior!
0: <laughs> that is it for THN 504. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, ask these nerds a new question of the week. I will. This
1: week's question comes from new guy... Via the THN forums. Matt and I are suffering. Our favorite corn-themed sports ball team has hit a rough patch and... Holy shiz, they suck! Hey, we got our first win last week. Yeah, great. <laughs> a new group has taken over and I think they can rebuild, but it's a tough road to hoe. It's true. Mountain to climb. All that. And other such idioms and cliches.
0: rumbling, stumbling,
1: bumbling. Right now we need some <laughs> goddamn hope! We look to comics for inspiration and I'm looking to you nerds for solace. So... Which creative team do you think has engineered the greatest turnaround in comics? I've already got my answer. I do too. What person or team took a character or book from the lowest Liefeldian lows? Hey now, to the highest Kirbyian highs. To be fair, Liefeld Lifefield famous for that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and he and he owns it. You're right. So what we're looking for here are creative teams that came onto a book that was tanking in either quality and or sales, right, and turned things around completely. Saved the book. I love this
0: one. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that sacrifices their money to the Dark Lord. That is the show by donating on PayPal and Patreon. Without you, nerds, we cannot afford the gallons of pig's blood we go through on a weekly basis for parties and decorating. And, you know,
1: yeah. Uh, there's a there's a movie Mis- miscellaneous. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our pal, Omaha Bounds, Tim Benson, and the project that his company is working on with writer Colin Bunn A Passage in Black. Uh, or, as I like to call it, A Pib. A P I B E. A Pib. A is a graphic novel horror anthology featuring comic adaptations of some of Bunn's short prose horror stories.
0: They're good, too.
1: Yeah. There's a ton of talented folks working on this project, including friends of the show, Tim Mayer and Jeff Lawler, creators of The Anywhere Man.
0: Related to Jerry the King Lawler. I don't know if you know that, Yeah, but it's his son.
1: And Legend Comics and Coffee favorite, Aaron A.E. Stuvi. The project is on Kickstarter now. It's just past the halfway mark with just about a week to go as you hear this. Word to this talented bunch of creative folks. We're going to put a link to the fundraiser in our show notes if you'd like to show your support.
0: So, Back Mark Wade, and then back. Then back this.
1: Also Carl's, Carl Smith's Patreon. in that order, and Carl Smith's Patreon.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, but us most of all. Yeah, and us. So I realize this is getting expensive, guys. <laughs> Look, <laughs>
1: comics are comics are art, and art demands sacrifice. Comics are a
0: bitch, baby. <sighs>
1: what can I tell you? <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to
0: pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just come and steal all your Halloween candy. This is the two-headed nerd signing.